Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What really happens in those last moments? Does our life really flash before our eyes? Welcome back to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, where this week we're looking at what happens during the end of our life. There's a huge amount of people like us interested in what happens in the afterlife. But why don't we talk about death itself? Well, dying is such a natural part of life. It's going to happen to us all, but it's rarely spoken about openly. So what really does happen? Well, later in the episode, we'll be chatting with TikTok star hospice nurse Julie, who is taking the stigma out of death as she educates her followers about what really happens. Just a trigger warning before we start, this episode will be focusing on death and terminal illness. Of course, it goes without saying that what happens in the last days of life is different to everyone depending on their bodies and, of course, their circumstances. We've taken a lot of information from the Cancer Research and Hospice UK websites. Some dying people might be ready to go, whereas some resist death. They might still have issues they want to resolve or put right. Some people will hold on until they have heard certain words from the people they love. So letting them go can be one of the most important and loving things you can do for them. Now, this actually makes a lot of sense to me. There's often times when a spirit doesn't want to move on because they feel they have unfinished business to settle. A murder victim, for instance, will want to tell their loved ones that they are all right and happy, but also tell them, who their killer was. I believe, and this information was given to me from the spirit world, that upon a certain person's untimely death, and in that time, that person wasn't able to say goodbye or give an important message to a loved one. They will visit their loved ones regularly, letting them know that they want to talk to them. Now, I had this with my dad. After the funeral, he was rapping and tapping away, moving objects, waking me up in the middle of the night by making noise. One of the, the things he was doing, he liked to do, was was bang on the side table uh, and the lamp would rattle so much so we the whole thing would wake me up and he would generally cause a little bit of chaos all around the house but what he was saying was Yvette I'm here I need to talk to you one of my best friends she tragically lost a family member to a very traumatic death where the cause of his demise hasn't been cleared up was he alone when he died 
or was he murdered? Now, his spirit came through and told my friend not to pursue the court case as he'd forgiven his killers and wanted my friend to move on. He was concerned for her health and her welfare. And that was a very emotional sitting to be a part of. So if you know that a loved one is close to death, try to be close by. They may just want to share something with you, a last word, a last message, a kiss or a hug. And if a loved one dies suddenly and tragically, rest assured, they will find a way one day to let you know that they didn't suffer and that they are incredibly happy. Now, back to the process of dying and what our bodies actually do within that process. It will go through the natural uh, process of slowing down all its functions. This could take hours or days. The dying person will feel weak and sleep a lot. Then when death is very near, you might notice physical changes such as changes in breathing, unconsciousness and loss of bladder and bowel control. This happens because the muscles in these areas relax and don't work as they did. This doesn't mean the person is uncomfortable or in distress. This is a natural part of dying. As we said, people who are dying often sleep a lot, so much so that they might not respond when you try to wake them. This doesn't mean that they can't hear you though. And interestingly enough, I didn't know this, hearing could be one of the last senses to be lost. So keep talking to them. The change in breathing is something that we'll discuss with Julie, but you may notice that it gets noisier and irregular. There might also be times that people stop breathing for a few seconds, and this is called chain stoke breathing. There may also be gurgling or rattling sounds as the dying person takes each breath. And this sound comes from the chest or the back of the throat. And this is because there is a buildup of mucus and saliva and they don't have a strong enough cough reflex to cough it up. The skin of the dying person may become cool to touch and their skin may become pale and look blotchy or mottled, which is because there is less blood circulation around these body parts. There may also be some confusion and disorientation from the dying person and they might act out of character. However, everyone is different. Someone dying in their 20s may be very different to someone who is in their 80s and the person may begin to let go as death gets closer, but others might feel anxious or angry. And this is exactly what happened to my granddad. When my granddad um, was dying, his last breaths were, he actually said out loud in a panic, oh, I'm dying, I'm dying. And then he sort of, he sat up and started pushing people out of the way because he was focused on one point in the room and his eyes were wide and he was desperately trying to get to what I believe was my grandmother. I believe that he obviously he said, I'm dying, I'm dying. The realization that he was dying, but he was desperately trying to get to grandma. And that's what he did. And I think he was 98 when he died. At the end of life, the body's chemical balance completely changes. The dying person then slips into unconsciousness. And this is usually right towards the end, maybe only a few hours or days before death. When my grandmother passed away, she went into a very deep sleep, uh, before she died, she then came to, she came around, opened her eyes and said to one of our relatives, I've been and seen Jesus. 
I've seen him and I can't wait to go back. And she closed her eyes. And then I think a couple of hours later, she never woke up, she died. But she was so at peace, which was was very, very interesting because she was a a, a religious person and didn't talk about her religion very much. Um, But a lot of people believe that if you have a religious figure, um, uh, somebody that you're desperate to see, somebody that, you know, has, has gone before you and you're desperate to see, that's the person or persons that will be there for you in that image because it's very calming. It's, it's a very interesting thing, isn't it? And it's also the body and the spirit try to make this sort of journey from this body, our old worn out vehicle, into the next as smooth as possible. And so if they can sort of give an image of the person you really want to see to help that transition, then that's what they'll do. And that's, I think, what they did with my my grandmother. Now, I'm sure you're all thinking, what about our lives flashing before our eyes? Well, does this really happen? It's been an old age trope in works of literature, media and art. And we also have a whole episode based on near-death experiences with the same name too. So if you fancy that, have a look and... uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy that. In a scientific study from February 2022 published in Frontiers in Aging Neuroscience, it showed that there could be a replaying of memories after death. And what makes it even better is that these findings look to be an accident. I remember when this came out in the news, I was terribly excited. Apparently, a team of scientists set out to measure the brain waves of an 87-year-old epileptic patient. But during the neurological recording, the brain suffered a fatal heart attack. And this offered an unexpected recording of a dying brain. It revealed that in the 30 seconds before and after, the man's brain waves followed the same pattern as dreaming or recalling memories. The team wrote in the study that this kind of brain activity could suggest that a final recall of life may occur in our last moments. Dr. Zemmer, who led the study, now a neurosurgeon at the University of Louisville, said in the 30 seconds before the patient's heart stopped supplying blood to the brain, his brain waves followed the same patterns as when we carry out high cognitive demanding tasks like concentrating, dreaming or recalling memories. It continued 30 seconds after the patient's heart stopped beating, the point at which a patient is typically declared dead. I think there's something mystical and spiritual about this whole near-death experience, Dr. Zemmer said. And findings like this, it's a moment that scientists live for. I love this new find. It's fantastic because whoever created us created this recall of our lives. Many people believe that this is the moment we go through many emotions, watching and feeling what happened to us throughout our journey on the earth. Were we good? Did we help others? Did we hurt people? If we did hurt others, we then experience that pain of the person we hurt. Also, if we made people feel happy, we feel their joy. This is called, in the spiritualist world, a life review. And only through that life review do we get a grasp of our life's work here on this plane. 
Now, before we chat to Julie, let's hear from our listener, Kate, who works in Shepton Mallet Prison, supervising the ghost hunts. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Tally and I'm getting married in 2024, but I don't want to get sucked into feeling like I have to change everything about myself in the lead up to the big day. As soon as I got engaged, I felt like there was this extra pressure to change my body and try to look perfect. So I wanted to create the Anti-Diet Bride podcast to talk about it, because shouldn't your wedding be about celebrating your marriage and not about the size of your waist? So join me chatting to fellow brides, wedding industry experts, and even my fiance as we navigate this roller coaster planning process. Come and join the bridal party. Listen on the first Wednesday of every month on the Train Happy Podcast feed, and it's available wherever you get your podcast from. Hello, Yvette, Molly, and the team. I'm so excited to be sending you this. I'm a mega fan. My name's Kate. I am on a dog walk at the moment, so I might be a little bit sniffy. Sorry about that. So I've always been really interested in all things paranormal. I'd always been a little bit, been able to sense stuff, not massively, not like, you know, like a medium or anything, but I've always had little kind of experiences and stuff and always wondered about what's out there um anyway being a single mum and being completely broke i have five jobs already uh i needed a night job a nighttime job to kind of make ends meet um note it well my friends actually noticed this job for shepton mallet prison apparently the world's most haunted prison anyway i've been there a couple of times and found it really fascinating um and the role would be at night kind of supervising the ghost hunts there so i've been there a year i didn't think i'd last this long because i'm not gonna lie locking that place up at three three a.m in the dark with just a head torch 
I poo my pants on a regular basis. The majority of my time there, I hadn't experienced anything major. I hadn't looked for anything because if I'd seen anything, I probably wouldn't be there anymore. Um, so my thing was just get my head down, don't search for anything, don't look. When you lock up, make as much noise as possible. You know, you're going around cells and wings. Some of the cells date back to the 1600s. There's an execution room, um, there's a morgue. All these places I have to lock up. There's a chapel as well. I'd heard things, odd things, quite a lot. But I've always kind of managed to persuade myself it was nothing, I suppose. It could be the rain on the on the roof, that kind of thing. But this one night, and it was early, I went to unlock, as I always do, every night. I, I unlock the main gates, there's massive big gates to the whole site. Um, unlock that, step in. You're the only person in this huge site. You lock that behind you, then you head down, little walk down to the visit centre, which is the nice bit. You turn on the lights, it's all warm and cosy. Log into the till, whatever, and then I start my route around the prison. Heading towards the chapel, you put your head torch on, off you go. This one particular night, and we had a paranormal group in that night, who were due about half an hour after I'd unlocked. Um, who I knew quite well, because they come every couple of weeks. I Anyway, I head towards the chapel, which is this stairwell right in front of me. And up at the top, there's like three flights you've got to go up to unlock the chapel. So it's quite a big stairwell, heavy iron gates and stuff like that surrounding it. So I'm walking towards it and I hear what I, th what I think is a group of two or three people maybe running up and down the stairs so and it was heavy footsteps it was there was weight behind them as i just finished watching that jeffrey Dahmer thing on netflix absolutely pooed my pants thinking there's somebody in here there's somebody during the day it's open as a museum almost so really anybody could walk in and hide this is my mum's biggest fear about me working there. So in my head, there's some psycho who's gonna probably chop me up and eat me. So I went and um, locked myself in the visitor centre and cried for a bit until the paranormal team came. When I greeted them at the main gate in tears and jumped into their arms, they were shocked because that's not me. They're like, what the hell's happened? What's the matter? I said, there's someone in here. There's someone in here. I'm, you know, you've got, they, they said, it's right, calm down. We'll check everywhere. Bless them. So we checked and I went round with them and I made them check. And there's, there's over a couple of hundred cells. Every cell was checked, every cupboard, every toilet. And there's a lot of them as well. And there was nothing, absolutely nothing. And I can't, I kind of can't get my head around it still because I can't quite believe. They were, the team were very excited. Kate, you've had your first experience. This is wonderful. And I was like, mm, no, it's not wonderful. <laughs> I'm petrified. Um, so that's, that's my experience. But the prison is amazing. Yvette, please, can you come and see it and do an investigation? I'd love to know what you think of the place. It's a very... 
sinister place. Um, yeah, so that's my story. If anything else happens to me there, I'm there on Saturday, I will let you guys know. What I do need to add, which I didn't now, sorry, is from that day, I've always taken my dog, Daphne, to my night shift at the prison with me um, because I just can't do it alone anymore. Um, she's a big bull mastiff. She's very chilled. And, I, you know, I wondered how she would be there, but she's um, nothing freaks her out, which is quite nice and quite um, comforting for me. She, she feels, she seems quite at home there. The only thing she does do, I've noticed, is that she'll focus on something, lock in on something, ears pricked, and she'll follow things with her eyes that aren't there. That's the only thing I've noticed. The day that old Daphne barks or growls at something that isn't there, I think is the day I'll quit. <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening to my story. Kate, firstly, <laughs> you are one brave woman. Oh my God. I mean, walking around on your own in a haunted dark prison. Wow. I'm impressed. And it's a great idea to have your dog Daphne with you. What a great name, by the way. I understand you wanting your dog with you. But as you say, if that dog suddenly scarpers off, whining and barking with its tail between, between its legs, I'd be running right behind it. And I'd be screaming out, I quit, I quit. Now, I'm yet to go to investigate Shepton Mallet, but there's one person who has investigated this formidable prison. And that, of course, is Carl. So Carl, tell us about your experiences at Shepton Mallet. Uh, well, Shepton Mallet is a, a terrifying place to look at from the outside. Even the entrance is terrifying. So when you go in there, there is this sense of foreboding. And if you do any research into it, you know that there's lots of executions happened there. Obviously, it's a prison, so lots of people have been there. They've died there. Um, and this prison goes back centuries. I mean, you're looking at way before the Civil War, the, the, the English Civil War. It was so overused that just after the English Civil War, it was um, it had to be extended and, 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 and refurbed then. So there's lots of stuff happened there. I know there's lots of talk about the craze being there. And there's talk about, I think, Reggie Cray's hand being seen, which is a bit strange because they were only there for nine months. That's weird. Yeah, the, 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 they were only there for nine months. Nothing great happened. It was in the 50s mm. and they were there because of their issues with the army at the time. And nothing great happened to them. So they weren't these two gangsters that they became later on when they came out of the army and all of that. So, But the other stuff that's been seen there has been terrifying. And the reports are amazing. Back in the 50s, the Home Office had to make a report because of this white lady who's the most famous ghost there, has been, was, was being seen and people in the 50s refused to work there <laughs> at night or, or they were too scared to work there at night on their own. You've got to admit, this prison was shut down in the 30s originally and then opened again for the Second World War. And 18 American soldiers, because the Americans took over it for the uh, the war, and 18 American soldiers were executed in the block that's still there today. You can see the hanging block. They built this two-story thing. Uh, 16 were hanged and two were executed by firing squad. So you've got this fear of, which is more modern, obviously, you know, with, with it being uh, the, the Second World War. But then you've got this centuries of people dying there. And it's the atmosphere. You As soon as you walk in there, there is this 
feeling that you're not going to get out. It, it really is. You walk further into these corridors and these cells, um, people will still be buried underneath. There's lots of people buried underneath. There's some talk of people buried in walls, which I personally find that hard. I'm not saying they're not, um, but why would you bury somebody in a wall? No one would do that after an execution. So there's lots buried underneath it, as there are in lots of prisons. That's why they can't excavate. And that's why these prisons, fortunately, are still there for us all to go and see. But it's this feeling of constantly being watched, constantly being followed. You walk, if you walk on your own, you're constantly turning around because you think something's there. And I know when I was there, three or four times we were with some guests um, and just a few times you you thought one of the guests had walked off because you go, oh, there's somebody at the end there. So you'd walk towards them and they weren't there. And every single person, certainly on the the, the, uh, the, with the people I were with, and there, there was about five or six of us there, they all witnessed the same person walking up the stairs and they vanished at the top of the stairs. Now, I caught the tail end of it, so I can say I saw it, but the others saw it from the bottom to the top. You've got this door slamming. You can be in a cell and a door will slam on you. And you know no one's there. So this place is so haunted. It's certainly in the top five haunted prisons in this country. And it's a scary place to go. And if anyone wants to go there, go there. But, but, but be, be careful because it's not just what you see, it's how you feel. And in that place, you do feel like you may not get out. Now, back to this week's subject, and let's welcome the amazing hospice nurse, Julie, who shares her experience in end of life and what some of the common occurrences are here. I am, I'm honestly, I've been so excited for a whole week because on the line now is Julie McFadden, and she is, and you can get her on all socials, she's known as Hospice Nurse Julie. And Julie, in my eyes, is one of the Earth's angels because she talks about death. She talks about her experiences in hospices, people that are dying and passing on, and and. What you're doing, Julie, can I just say by sharing this work that you're doing is just so joyous to me because you're taking the fear out of death. And I just want to say thank you. Oh my gosh. What an introduction. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So thank you for even being interested. I mean, it takes two, I think, you know, someone oh. has to be willing to listen. So for those people who haven't seen Julie on social media, check her out. Not only is she very knowledgeable, but she's beautiful too. Anyway, <laughs> enough of that. Let's crack on. Um, so just tell us really from the beginning, how did you sort of get into this work? What made you so passionate about it? So it started out, you know, become I became a nurse, right? And when I was becoming a nurse, nothing struck me about hospice at all. If anything, my ego was like, I'm going to be, you know, I wanted to be an ICU nurse or like a flight nurse or something. Um, not that anything is better than the other, right? But in my young mind, it, I wanted to be, I wanted to be like in the most intense situations. Mm. So I started out being an ICU nurse because of that. 
And because I started out being an ICU nurse, I knew I was not in the right place within the first couple of years. I was like, whoa, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Um, at least for me personally, it was like too hard to hurry up and care. It was very fast and rushed and so many tasks to do. And I just felt like I wasn't connecting with the patient or the family at least me personally. And mm -hmm. uh, I didn't realize that that's what I wanted and needed <laughs> or what I would hope to be doing as a nurse until I wasn't doing it, right? And then mm -hmm. I was seeing how we were keeping people alive and not everybody. The ICU is a wonderful place for certain people and many people survive because of the ICU. But many people are also kept alive, in my opinion, for far too long with no discussions about end of life um, until it's the very last moment. And then suddenly we had this family meeting, crush everyone's heart, you know, saying their loved one's going to likely die and here's what we should do. There was never any buildup to that or any education to that prior. And I just felt like we were really doing a disservice in general in our healthcare system uh, to people um, at end of life. We just didn't know how to do it in the hospital, it felt like. So that was, that's what got me on the road to, there's got to be a better way to do this. If we're going to die, ugh, we have to have a better way, you know? And um, so I started looking into hospice and then I got into hospice and it was a huge learning curve. You know, I came from the ICU where we were doing everything to keep someone alive, to go to right to hospice where you're just sort of allowing this natural process to happen. And, um, you know, within that first year, it was, my, I was amazed. I was amazed by our human body. Like, although people were dying, I was so amazed by how little we had to do to make that okay for them. You know, our bodies did so many things biologically just to help us that it was like, to me, that was like witnessing a miracle, right? People think like witnessing a miracle would be someone living it, and that is too. That's a miracle as well. But, but I thought it was a miracle to witness how our bodies biologically take care of us at the end of life. So what sort of things would the body do then to shut down? Yeah. So it was like, once you see it over and over again, you're like, wow. So the body will naturally, like people will, people think that the person is like, totally drugged up. And that's why they're sleeping all the time and not eating and not, and that can be the case, I guess, sometimes. But in general, everyone dying will start becoming more tired, so they'll sleep a lot. They will stop wanting food and water on their own. Just their body will say, I don't want it. And um, through that small process, it allows them to slowly shut down. Their body will slowly shut down and um, help, basically help the person die without us doing anything, right? The, the body will just make you sleep more, eat less, sleep more, eat less, sleep more, eat less. And then on top of that, it does other, uh, other things like not everyone, but most people start seeing dead relatives, start having dreams of dead relatives or dead loved ones, really, not necessarily relatives, people they love um, or pets. They start, you start kind of going inward instead of outward. So you have this like cocooning effect of, um, kind of knowing you're going to be dying. Uh, it's just it's just amazing to see. I watched the clip on YouTube where you call it the death stare. Do you want to explain what that is? Yeah, so it doesn't happen to everyone again. Um, I like to say that because I know there's some people who've had 
a bad experience with their loved one dying, right? And I want to make sure I, I, I give them a shout out too. I know it's not always um, this peaceful experience for everyone. Um, so I, I like to say that. Uh, but many people will have what we call like the death stare. I call it the death stare. I don't know what other people call it. Where they are staring up, usually at the ceiling, at the corner of the room, very fixated. It's hard to get them fixated off of the corner of the room or whatever they're looking at. And sometimes they'll be talking to someone. Sometimes they'll just be staring. Sometimes they'll be staring with a smile or they'll reach up like they see someone. Things like that happen all the time. All the time. And the, the particular woman that I saw uh, being filmed doing this, um, you mentioned in, in your piece on the YouTube channel that this, this lady hadn't spoken for a long time. Yeah. Uh, she hadn't been receptive at all. And then all of a sudden, towards the end of her life, she was talking, wasn't she? And looking up, as you say, to yeah. the ceiling, you know, and I've seen lots of videos like this, you know, and, and, and I believe 100% that, you know, our soul does leave our, our, our tired old car <laughs> and it's, mm -hmm. and, and it moves on. What are your thoughts? You know, after you seeing this process time and time again, what are your beliefs now? You know, I've always had a belief in an afterlife. So I've always, I've always believed we've gone to something else. Um, I don't know what that is, but um, something good, and we all go there, I think. So I think even with the body, like like science, right? I think people think science and spirituality are like separate, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's all. I think from what I've seen in the hospice world, it's all it, like it all makes me believe in something greater, like the fact that our bodies somehow know how to do it. Yeah. Um, biologically, that makes me believe in something greater and that there's an afterlife. The fact that almost everybody dying <laughs> sees loved ones telling them like, don't worry, we're going to come get you. We're all here for you. And um, makes me, I feel like no. And just the feeling I get being around death as, as, as weird as that sounds when I watch people die, uh, cause I have to, cause I'm a hospice nurse, it feels sacred. It feels like they're 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 transforming into something they've already been. That's why I think being like when I see babies being born or like almost newborns, you know, a couple of weeks after they've been born, I get the same mm. feeling around newborns that I do around people who are. That's close to interesting. Death. Yeah, it's like it's like a feeling of um, like transformation. Like I think when we die, we go back to a place we've already known. I don't think it's a new place. I think yeah. we've been there, and I think when we die. We wake up like it's home. Like, oh yeah, I can't believe I forgot this place. That's right. I I, I think that too. I think it's home. We go back home, and and so, um, lots of people have actually recounted that in uh, near death experiences, haven't they? They've they've actually said and, and been quoted as, I I yeah. was so excited to be going home. What's been the most monumental death that you've ever experienced that has stuck with you more than anybody else? Perhaps a word, a sentence, or something that they've said just that they've passed on. There's, there is seriously so many, there are so many that stick out for, for several different reasons. And none of them, I will say, none of them have been what we think, right? Like that prolific sentence. It hasn't been like that. It's been like what, what that meant to me. Like, um, I'll give one, the thing, when people ask me this question, the things that stand out are, are two different deaths that happened in the ICU. And those two deaths from those two people who I hold near and dear to my heart and their families changed the course of my life because those were the two families where 
I, I finally spoke up about what I thought we were doing to this person, which was wrong. I felt, I felt like this is not wrong that we're not having a conversation about what's really happening here. I could cry now thinking about it because I felt like we were keeping him alive and, and no one was maliciously doing this, right? No one, just no one. It was like the first time I realized, oh, I have a voice. I spoke up in rounds, which is like with all the doctors and the nurses and the patient and the family. And I spoke up during rounds and I said, I think we should have a family meeting uh, to discuss. Uh, what did I say? I didn't say like end of life because the family was there, but I said something like to discuss mm-hmm. the, the future or something something like that. And, and I realized the second I said that, everyone had relief. Everyone was like, yes, 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 yes. Like it was like they just needed one person to say one thing because we all knew what was happening, which was this person was dying and we weren't talking about it. We were keeping them alive for no reason because they, they were going to die no matter what we did. And that happened twice. And we had the family meeting and they did turn off the machines and the person died peacefully in the ICU. And I felt like, even though it was sad that they had died, right? It was more like, wow, all that person needed was a voice, you know, just one person to speak up. And I started, those deaths changed my life uh, because it changed the course of how I wanted to nurse. And now here I am, you know? Um, so th- that type of stuff sticks out to me. Yeah, I, I can understand that. And I, 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 t- I couldn't agree with you more, you know, um, families and, and, and the patient go through days, weeks of absolute suffering and torture. So yeah, you know, thank goodness for people like, for like you, what do you think about, you know, you're talking about science earlier on, and I'm a huge science fan. I just wish they'd get more involved in the world of the paranormal, but when they talk about <clears throat> the brain shutting down, they'll talk about, you know, your life passing before your eyes. And they've just actually, haven't they, sort of, um, they, they've seen a brain difference. I think there was a gentleman having a scan, an MRI or a brain scan, and he had a, a mm-hmm. heart attack or a yeah. stroke. And they actually, for the first time, could see what was happening with the brain while this was happening. And then they've said now that, yes, you do see your life flashing before your eyes. And this is a, <clears throat> you know, a medical thing that happens to you. Your brain, it starts to dun, 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 shut down. Yeah, and you, you show have it, a life review. Yeah, <clears throat> a life review. Um, and you're shown all these images. And so when people have these NDEs and they come back and they talk about it, um, you know, it does, it does all fit. But you see, for me, there's more of a spiritual side of things. We do have that life review, but it's done for a more, I'm putting it very simply, um, where, how well have you done in this life? Now let's have a look <laughs> type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hear a mm-hmm. lot of people that have come back from death actually say that they've experienced that. Uh, and when they've carried on living their life, they've lived a much better life. You know, they've been, you know, they've really, really, yeah. um, really held on to their life with both hands. They've been nicer people. They've done good deeds that they didn't do before because they wanted to live the rest of their life doing great things. And lovely things for for other people. So it's mm. so good when you said it's lovely that you know you you believe in science and the spiritual side of things because so do I, and I think that's really important, isn't it? You know. Yeah, I think they can coexist. Like I think people took that took that paper or the article about you know the I think it was a man the man's brain shutting down and really getting to see what happens before you die as something to like see it's it's not something magical. It's the brain, and to me, it's like. 
Yeah, no, that's magical. <laughs> that's still magical. We have this brain exactly. that does that. That we still have this brain that does that for us. Um, and I just think I, 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 I think we all like to know. We want to know. We want. And it's like so much safer to live in this black and white world, and it's just not like that. So I really try to practice saying, I don't know, right? Like, even when it comes to like, well, why do you think the brain does that? Do you think that means there isn't an afterlife? Do you think that is it just a comforting thing? And I love, I love being able to say, I don't know. I don't know. But I think it's, um, and I think that's okay to not know. And I choose to dream and believe and, and it's a feeling thing for me. You know, I just feel (laughs) through my experience and what I've experienced and through connecting with people who are dying that there is something more, you know, and that's all I, that's all I need to know. Right. And, um, to me, science makes me believe more Yeah. because why do we have this brain that can do all these things? (laughs) Why do we have this heart that just beats without us trying to do anything? You know, to me, it's all magical science, spirituality, all of it. It's all mixed together and and they can coexist. Totally agree with you. I I really, really do. Um, Julie, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Please, you know, carry on doing your amazing works. And like I say, if you want to get to know Julie a little bit better, then go to Hospice Nurse Julie. And that's the handle for all her socials. Thank you so much. It was so nice. Thank you for listening to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, and a huge thanks to all our lovely listeners for sharing their paranormal stories with us. You can get in touch and share your own stories at contact at paranormalpod.co.uk. And we are on WhatsApp. And here's the number. Don't be shy. Leave your voice note. Uh, here it is, 075-999-27537. And we are on social media, Instagram, and the handle is at paranormal activity pod stay up to date with the newest episodes by giving us a follow and we'll be back again same time next week but if you can't wait until then visit www.paranormalpod.co.uk where you can find lots of options to get episodes a day early have a great week stay safe and remember things aren't always as they seem Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.